Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by Rachel. Hi. And Colin. Hello. Um, and today we're going to discuss the season three in general. Our season three recap, everyone. We finished season three. Hooray. I mean, there's seven seasons of the show. Season one is short, but we've done like three full seasons of the show. I mean, we're not yet at the midway point, but like it really feels like we've gone through a lot. I know. We have. What are you guys going to do when you finish all seven seasons? Like you can't just end the podcast. (laughs) We've talked about that before because other podcasts like Gilmore Guys, like they went on after Gilmore Girls ended. What did they end up doing? Bunheads, I think. Um, And we've talked about turning this into an angel podcast. Oh my God, please do. I've also talked about doing a dollhouse podcast since that would only last 24 weeks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and I stand for Dollhouse um, so I do not <laughs> That's a conversation that uh, You could do both That's true, we could alternate one week on Angel And one week on Dollhouse <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean th- There was a point, remember when we were like Oh, maybe we'll which we're not going to do, but if there was a point when we were like, oh, maybe when we start season four, we'll start doing Angel at the same time. But like, eh. That'd be a lot. It would be a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's just a lot to juggle. Yeah. And like being like, oh, we'll have a guest on for our episode of Angel. Like also who would want to be on as a guest for season one of Angel? Ugh. That's a rough season. Yeah. yeah. And like, if we're doing it with Buffy, then we have it to do it. It has its episode. moments. Yeah. It has like, three moments um <laughs> and like i felt like if we were doing it in order then like ugh, that would be i feel like season one that could be like five podcast episodes and that's it like talk about the faith episodes. Just three episodes per three three episodes per podcast episode keep it moving yeah like talk about the buffy episodes the faith episodes and the finale and that's really all you and doyle's episode like that's it and so you need heroes and pride and gifts but. yeah um, I think it, the episode where Cordelia's house is haunted is iconic. <laughs> yes. I, oh, I love that. And I love that she becomes besties. Yes. With her ghost. I always felt a little cheated that we didn't get more of, I mean, but because we didn't get that much of resolution with Cordelia herself, I wish yeah. we could have gotten more of like the ghost. Cause that episode is good. And I think that's one of Charisma Carpenter's favorite episodes that she always states that as like, she loves Aww. delivering the line. Like I'm not some cry Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like so harsh, but also so Cordelia, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, that yes. is the future of Slayer Fest '98, <laughs> but we're here to, to do the work of the present. Yes, and we're here with two very patient Slayer Fest '98 guests who both have now waited a really long time to record their episode they were going to be on for. And thank you both so much for being so patient with us. Well. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yes, thank you. It was a pleasure. Um, you know, you guys, if, you, um, if you're on one more episode, you're an official Scooby. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've always wanted. <laughs> three, oh, yeah. Three episodes, you're part of the official Scooby Club, an yeah. exclusive club. Well, if nothing else, you all have to have me on for The Gift, season five. <laughs> So that I can just like sob. It's just me and you <laughs> crying, Rachel. Yeah. Just, just, every time you come to me, it will just be me crying. 
crying more. <laughs> Matthew's just like, well, Rachel and Ian are crying again. Um. <laughs> and I'm just like, I really want to break down the motifs. <laughs> I'm like, you're right, they were great. <laughs> um, yeah. So season three is, I think, me and Matthew's favorite season of Buffy, right? No, you're wrong. Stop speaking for me. <laughs> this is erasure of me. Uh. <laughs> no. Um, no, this is what I say. There's a difference. I'm able to differentiate. There, I think that Buffy is the best... Season three is the best Buffy season. It is not my favorite. Okay. That's fair. But I think what season is three is the, object, the objective best. Um, it's also Buffy's highest rated season. So oh, the really? most people watched it. Yeah. Because they lost a lot of viewers, just like you said, when they went to season four, because they the, the graduation episodes got so fucked up and people didn't know when to watch it. And that's when I stopped watching, too. It's so yeah. funny that, like, I really just didn't know what happened. I really thought I missed them. I didn't know, like... I mean, later, eventually, the internet told me, like, before we started this podcast. But at the time, I really had no idea. And I thought I just, like, missed them and was like, I missed the finale. I don't really know what's going on. And, you know, then kind of fell out and... Season five is what brought me back in. But I always... Uh Season three and five are my favorite. So this is my favorite. But this season, for me, doesn't... Isn't as emotional, but it's... I just think such good television. Yes. Well, I also think... Well, and I would love to hear Rachel and Colin comment on this. I think it's um, the most epic season. I think that five and seven try to imitate its epicness. And I think that it's the one that does the best of telling the big epic story and that four and six are kind of the more like silly individual episode seasons, but that three is the one that's most epic from beginning to end. Well, I think that season three, um, I mean, it really sort of follows through on the larger conceit of the show, right? That like high school is hell, growing up (laughs) is hell. And so... Um, so the fact that, um, season three is their senior year and they graduate, um, there's just so, um, there's so much symbolic weight, I think, yeah, uh, to, to that because, uh, yeah, it is, it's, it's, it's this epic, um, good, evil battle, uh, but it also does these really go- uh, this really amazing job of sort of muddying that boundary more and more. And then, um, you know, you're also sort of witnessing um, the sort of the, the various hells uh, that are inherent to adolescence, adolescence and, and growing up and, um, and so, yeah, I feel I feel like you're when we end the season, we're we're left with um, a sort of sense of cohesiveness that you don't necessarily get with the end of each yeah. season. I think, well, I think that this season is also like, yeah, I agree, and I think it also does really well with the standalone episodes. It's one yeah. of the few seasons that does both really well. I think. Sure. Um, I was just gonna say, there's actually. I feel like in this season, there's very little in standalone episodes that isn't also like arc heavy, which I really like that this season is very much after Faith, Hope and Trick. It's very much this season arc is the main story that they tell pretty much every episode. 
Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, with Faith, Hope, and Trick, I think the train has left the station, and every every stop is kind of um, pertinent to the end goal, right? There's never, like, you get off and stay overnight somewhere and kind of, like, see that site. It's kind of like you're always moving towards the end goal. All the drama is on the train, you know? Yeah. And it's... it's uh, it's it's honestly a feat to do. I mean, I think one of the things that now gets brought up all the time in the current TV landscape that we're in is that like shows are like 10 episodes, right? Like Big Little Lies was seven episodes. Like they're right. just like shows tell a whole story in not, a, in you know, not a lot of time comparatively. And Buffy is able to sustain for season three, it's able to sustain all of these plot lines, all of these stories for 22 episodes. And I think it's actually like a marvel that we really don't see that much anymore. I, the last yeah. show I think that did it, and the actress Juliana Margulies used to actually talk about this whenever she won an award, is like <laughs> that only The Good Wife really still does that. <laughs> or like there are some shows that do it, but it's very hard to tell like a critically acclaimed, really well done 22 episode season anymore. Yeah. And very few people do it. I think that's that's true. I mean, most of the shows, I, like even a show like Westworld, and even well, that HBO shows in general, they're just going to give you like eight, ten, twelve episodes, maybe. And even that, like I loved Westworld, but even that, like there was a slump, and it's weird to think there was a slump in so few episodes. Oh yeah, I love, I loved Westworld. I um, have, I mean, I I don't know if if we've already, uh, if you all if we've established my feelings for Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, but, we have not, tell us. Oh, well, I'm just in love with her. Uh, uh, so uh, if she ever listens to this podcast, um, Evan, hey, I'm married, up. but in another life, maybe. Uh, my husband is glaring at me right now. <laughs> um, but... Uh, there uh but yeah i mean but the, it but it was narr i mean in terms of the narrative it was completely fucked up i mean they've they've got so much work to do to yeah. <laughs> to figure things out for that second season of, but like right uh, like something like that even hit like a they did have like a little bit of like a messy slump but i mean it was still enjoyable but like and that was only like however many episodes it's crazy that buffy had such a long season but still felt i don't know it still feels like they're doing work every episode you know, I, it, it takes a certain sort of nimbleness and, um, to be able to, uh, you know, write a sort of cast of, uh, compelling characters and then to be able to do justice to all of them. And I, and I think that, I think that is, Buffy does that. And so accordingly, you have all of these characters that we care about. And so there's, there's just the space to yeah. explore um, because, because we're, we're interested. Like we, we um, we're fine if an episode focuses on Cordelia, you know? Yeah. That's, or at least I am. Yeah. More than fine, really. <laughs> yeah. Because Cordelia is, is fascinating. You know, I'm, you know, I'm fine with a, episode that's primarily focused on Giles because he's wonderful too you know so they're all they all have a different sort of appeal they all have different uh you know demons but I'm that they're (laughs) they're, uh so yeah so I think um 
you, we, you know, I feel like we wouldn't really be doing, um, they wouldn't be as fleshed out if we didn't, uh, if we didn't have the time that we have. And thank, thankfully, they're just, it's just really good storytelling and they use the time well. You know, I think that's a really good point that like, not all shows would we be okay with every character getting their own episode. Yeah. But on this show, we, we are. Like, I think season three, and I think season three does this really well, especially even in terms of just Buffy, of giving at least every character, like, Cordelia doesn't quite get her own episodes, but she gets Homecoming, where she, like, completely shines. And she mm-hmm. gets The Wish, which is kind of a Cordelia episode, but, like, kind of not. Um, she dies very early in yeah. the episode. Yeah. Um, it starts out as hers. Yeah, it starts out as her episode, but then kind of, like, yeah. falters. But, like, you know, and then she still gets her, like, little arc that we get of, like, oh, she was a rich, spoiled girl. Now she's her father, was it tax fraud or something? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, um, evasion, I think it yeah. was. Um, and, you know, and then Xander buys her the dress, and she eventually is just part of the Scoobies willingly and, like, helps them by the end. And, like, I don't know, I feel like that's a lot, giving a lot to a character that was mostly there to be, like, the mean girl. Like, she, you know, I think that's really all they cast her as in season one, but Mm. slowly, and I think it's to Charisma Carpenter's credit, because she's such an actor, um, they were like, oh, wait, she works, like, really well. Let's give her more to do. And they did, and, like, I don't know, I think that this is one of the few shows where, like, almost every character in those opening credits this season gets to shine in at least one episode on their own. And yeah. that's why I love the season so much. Like for me, season three and five are my favorites, but season five is story is the story. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's those last four or five episodes where it's, they're just literally running from glory are what make the season. And it's, it's a story, but I mean, the reason we can get there and it be okay is because we already love these characters and we know them. And like, we don't need them to have their own. We don't need like, episode arcs or anything for any of them at that point and it's okay to have just like a plot heavy five episodes in a row of all plot like that's okay and action and stuff um yeah and i think season three does so well juggling all that and i also i mean matthew and i have gone back and forth you do love the mayor is your favorite matthew or no um i think i think the mayor is the best objective best bad but i do want to go back to just the one thing that you guys were talking about before and that I kind of think about it in terms of almost like um, with all the characters have to be juggled. If Buffy were like a book series, the way that there were seven Harry Potter books, like I think that um, three and five and seven work in terms of like novelization. Like they are concerned with this long story that's being told where you can check in with everyone. And even when there's an episode that you think is about one person it really is not. Whereas I think that like six, four and six and four, especially like maybe wouldn't make that jump as easy, but that doesn't make any less valid. I think that it's more that like four is interested in actually getting off at those stops and like wondering like how Giles feels about being outside the group and how this person feels and even taking an episode to explore Jonathan again. Right. And it's like, those aren't necessarily bad things, but like you wouldn't, 
read a book where each chapter, well, maybe you would. I mean, there are books like Winesburg, Ohio or something just like where each chapter is about like one person, but maybe it comes off more as like a collection of short stories and like three is more like a novel. Um, and yeah, and, and, and to me, it's just the one that has the most kind of like symmetry and everything is wrapped up. And I think part of that is um, the mayor, but I think part of that is also to me, like the mayor, as we discussed in our graduation day episode, um, is like the big phallic thing that she has to defeat at the end. <laughs> but, um, like the real me, the real interesting like enemy or, or antagonist to me is Faith. And, like, to me, mm-hmm. Faith is what yeah. makes the season so interesting and watchable. Like, I'll watch The Mayor forever, and I think he's a great, objective, big bad just because of his personality quirks and that he's more than the sum of his parts, and he's very epic. But, like, Faith is the reason to watch season three for me 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, going back, I do think Faith is, like, a little bit of a problem because she's so sexed up so immediately. Um, I don't know, Rachel, as you tell me how you feel about that as a woman. Cause like I've, as a gay man, I feel like I can think that, but it doesn't matter if I think that. About how, um, like how faith, faith sort of oozes sexuality. Yeah. Like I, for me, I'm like, Oh, I get it because they want her to be different. Cause Buffy isn't like that. And both are Okay. But the fact that she's so sexed up and then is, like, also goes bad and, like, she's a teenager, kind of. I mean, they're definitely men. playing on the trope of the dark woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, in every um, in every Victorian, well, not every Victorian novel, but in so many Victorian novels, you have uh, the, the good woman is the light-haired woman. Um, and she's pure and chaste and she'll probably end up with the guy. Um, and then often there's a dark woman who's got like, who's got the dark unruly hair and she's much more sexual. And I mean, uh, would you say Rachel is almost like a trope of like the ruined woman too? Like, yeah, yeah. There's a sort of faith is basically a, like a fallen woman um, in um, or, or she's in some way she's sort of treated that way, um, at least vis-a-vis Buffy. But I think, um, but I think one of the things that's really sort of interesting about Faith is that she there's there are parts of her that sort of bucks against the hypocrisy of that, even if it's not explicit, because you know it's that that binary is false. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hooray for Buffy, but <laughs> there, you know, you, but this uh, attempt to sort of place them in opposition um, as, as opposites, that's not, um, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's just kind of, uh, well, it's, it's not, it doesn't get you anywhere. I, I mean, I think, um, I mean, the thing actually that's most interesting to me about faith is is not so much um, her her sexuality because that I mean the thing about it is that they really sort of play it up, but like we don't really sort of we don't see a whole lot of it. I mean, like I know that she bones Xander, mm. but you know, like 
really the things that are most interesting to me about her are one, her relationship with the mayor. Cause I, yes. that is just one of the most um, fascinating villain plot lines or um, villainous relationships uh, that in this, in this show and perhaps that I've, ever encountered and then also um just the weird sort of charged homosociality between faith and buffy yes i right i consistently this season have said like it's so weird that it wasn't purposely written that way because oh boy does it come off that way yeah i mean the fight at the end right (laughs) is it's just and then um and then this, this sort of merging of consciousness when they're both, um, when they're both in comas or, yeah. well, Faith is in a coma and <laughs> Beth is sort of out of it um, from blood loss. Um, and there's just that crazy sort of um, intimation or sort of... Um, demonstration of the intimacy that they're never going to be able to escape, that they're always going to be tangled up in each other. Um, because, you know, you know, in part because yes, they're, they're both slayers, but also, um, because they, you know, they do recognize parts of themselves in in each other. They totally do. Right. Like, I think, I mean, sometimes I, like they're the episode bad girls when suddenly Buffy is buying everything in faith's world. Um, (laughs) and at the very beginning they make, is it actually, it might not even be this episode where they say they're just really good friends. Is that this episode or is that homecoming? No, that's, um, that it's bad girls. That is bad girls. Right. Cause they're dancing. Yeah. So like they, they make that joke, but I mean like, you know, I know straight people can make that joke too, but it just, on, <laughs> at least on Faith's end, I think Faith was in love with Buffy in some way. And mm-hmm. I think it almost felt like in Bad like I like we named the episode talking about Bad Girls and Consequences, Buffy and Faith break up. Because that's what it feels like. It feels like a breakup. It right. doesn't feel like just like, oh, they're not friends anymore. It feels like way more than that. Oh, yeah. And well, it... it- well, I mean, there's definitely a, um, and Rachel, as a Victorian person, I know you'll love this. I feel like there's definitely, like, a queerness kinship thing going on. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, like, a lot of times we, you know, before queerness was everywhere, like, we, a lot of times kinship was read as queerness. And, like, mm-hmm. Buffy and uh, Faith being the only slayers kind of puts them in this category where they, they two only understand each other. Right. And, like how many queer films have we seen where it's like the trope is these two girls or these two guys are the only ones who understand each other. And that is their queer like space. That is how they read. That is how like, that is why they are together or whatever. Honestly, this whole thing has me thinking about um, how like Buffy and Faith are totally call me by your name. And (laughs) it is army hammer. And because there's only two plots in fiction, um, and they are uh, Man Goes on a Journey and Stranger Comes to Town, and uh, <laughs> Faith is the stranger who has come to town, and she is making Buffy like learn all these things about herself, and they are in love. Do you, <laughs> know, I, 
I'm reading that book right now. I mean, by the time this airs, hopefully I'm finally fucking finished. Um, but, yeah, that, yes. Yes, because that book is written so well. Normally I'm kind of like, pfft, pfft, about any book that, would, like, the main plot is romance. But they write that, like, romance so well that I'm like, yes, tell me more about him. I know I love him, too. <laughs> um, and also, I'm, like, the only gay man on Twitter who hasn't been invited to a fucking screening of that movie. So who knows if we'll ever see it stuck in New Jersey. But, um... If it helps, it doesn't come here till December, so... <laughs> and it's not, it's not it hasn't opened, it doesn't open until the day after Thanksgiving. I know, but, so. like, everyone on Twitter has seen it already. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been, like, it's, like, watch Buffy reading Call Me By Your Name or watching the cartoon Big Mouth are all I've been doing. So I've been feeling, and you know, since moving back to New Jersey, I've been feeling very, very teen, hormonal teen, more more so than usual, because all I've been reading is, like, things about teenagers and love and, like, vampire slayers and... Yeah. <laughs> Which is a theme in my life, so I always like teen stuff in YA. And I feel like, you know, we've said this before, I think Buffy is really good YA. Like, I think... I mean, a lot of why we've had it like a couple of YA authors on, and they're all like really big fans, like we are. And I think it attracts the type of person who is going to write that stuff. Or, I mean, clearly not only that, but I'm saying like I think it's really well, stories it, where like um, basically teens have agency, yeah, and, and create change is is a YA, you know. Yeah. And I think that they do this so well, and I really think that like everyone, you know, I I was looking up before we recorded this. It's really weird looking at who was in a lot of the high school cast that comes together by the end. They haven't been in that many episodes. Like, Harmony is only in three episodes in season three, which is insane. And, like, she's in as many, many episodes as Scott Hope. And, like, I, I don't know. It's so weird to think all these characters... And, like, Larry... Larry's in four, so he's in, like kind of a lot, I guess, but, like, you know, we, we know all these characters by that final episode, so it's not, like, crazy that they're all coming together. You know, I, my only, my only complaint, which is barely even a complaint, is that I wish we had more people at graduation day, I wish we saw, saw Scott Hope and Devin and blah blah blah, um, but, like, it's crazy that Buffy does so, such a good job of, like, giving you these characters that have been in four episodes, and you're like, oh, yes, they're coming back to help them fight at graduation day. This made sense. And I think a lot of other shows maybe couldn't do that as well. Yeah. To bring back characters that, like, you know, you don't really care about that much, but it's like, oh, good, I'm glad to see them back. And, like, it's crazy that they bring Harmony back literally just to dip in. Yeah. And then she becomes right. a main character. But then she becomes an actual, like, yeah. main character. <laughs> more than she was when she wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> good for her. Yeah, yeah, good for her. Um, so, in, in the last um, recap, um, we, I mean, we've been on for a little bit now, but in the last recap, we did kind of go through the characters, and I think we were just talking about this, so it it's makes sense to do it. We did go through the characters, the main ones, and kind of talk about what their arc was this season and how we feel the show treated them and succeeded or didn't succeed. So I think this would be a cool time to do that. I mean, the obvious one to start with is Buffy. <laughs> okay, so... I mean, she started the season in exile in Los Angeles and ended it, you know, being class protector and gathering all the students together to ward off a giant dick snake. Um, so... <laughs> So, um, yeah, what do we think about Buffy's journey this season? What do you think, like, 
her character was about? What were they trying to do? Do you think they succeeded? I, I think this journey that she goes on would most closely relate to her season seven journey. Um, mm. Because I think that the whole big thing is that eventually she just asks everyone for help and they all help her. Um, mm. And that's her big plan is everyone's going to help. Um, you know, she went to Faith's, she, she fought her own battle, the battle she needed to fight that was honestly the more important emotional for her battle was her fighting Faith. That was the battle we needed for her emotional arc. And then it's like, okay, now she realizes that's over. Now she knows she needs to ask everyone for help. When realistically, they probably could have come up with some other plan, whatever. But this one works, and I love it. Um, and I think it's important that it's Buffy planning this because of her loner slayer bullshit that she normally pulls. And I feel like somehow defeating Faith made her more inclined to ask for help. I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think it's important, important that it ends on such a collaborative note, given that we begin with uh, Buffy in self-imposed exile and um, in isolation, having taken a different name, trying to erase her identity, and so. Um, you know, I think a lot about this, um, about this season. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, yeah, absolutely. I think you can pair it with seven because I think she comes back in seven to a lot of these same sort of questions. But, um, I, once she returns, um, I think the big, it's, you know, it, the big issue, the the questions that Buffy um, that Buffy's grappling with most, are, I think, sort of identity questions. Yeah. So I think it, it, there's it's no it's um, no mistake that the first that the first episode is called Anne. Um, so you know where um, what sort of Slayer do I want to be? How do I fit in this group? Um, and then faith kind of, you know, as a device, um, you know, she kind of uses faith um, in her own sort of psychological way to sort of figure out to what extent she wants to define herself like against her or, um, and, you know, so you sort of see her pulling all of this, you know, figuring, uh, trying to sort of determine what sort of hero she wants to be. And, and then that kind of uh, culminates with her telling um, the council to, to get the fuck out, you know, <laughs> that she's not going to... Which is such a good moment. Yeah, that she's not interested in this sort of large, pa uh, like, um, detached patriarchal body. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and she is also uh, bucking what tends to be the inheritance of the Slayer, right? Which is to be a loner, which is that you're, you're sort of doomed to have a short and very isolated life. And, um, and she's determined to not have that, uh, to 
to actually incorporate people into her life to have a hero's journey that isn't solitary, that um, does, in many ways, depend on the talents of other people, you know, like Willow, for example. Because in season two, she relied on that, but it was, she didn't, well, she didn't really rely on it. It happened. And it was just kind of like incidental that it was happening because she was going to do the thing regardless. Right. Yeah. 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 Colin, what do you think? I think you all raised such good points and I feel so stupid listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's normally Um, how I feel, Colin. (laughs) um, Just kind of go with what Rachel said about her, like starting the season alone, even when she first comes back to Sunnydale, everyone's against her for leaving. Oh, totally. Yeah. So then like by the end of it, when everyone's like rallying around her and joining her in the fight, I think that's kind of great. And that like all of her friends and classmates recognize that in her after bashing her for leaving for the summer. Yeah. I mean, and me, Matthew and I discussed this when we discussed that episode, I think they unfairly treat, they treat her so unfairly when she comes back. Like I, Oh yeah. I'm so pissed at all of them. Right. (laughs) Like every time I watch an episode, I get so mad and I'm like, Joyce, what are you doing? Willow, what are you doing? Xander, shut up. Like (laughs) Xander, you're doing exactly what we expected. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, Buffy's basically like gone through like this trauma and they're all kind of like re-traumatizing her, like not making space for her to like, you know, like talk about it. And then like on top of going through the trauma of losing Angel and being kicked out of her house for basically being gay. Yeah. Um, she like, they like don't even give her kind of cut her any slack, I guess. And it's really yeah. weird. Um, I do like what Ian said about this mirroring her season seven persona or in a lot of ways, yeah. because I think that they play off each other a lot. I think that the season, obviously we talked about like, um, we talked a lot about this being about patriarchal structures and Rachel brought it up a lot, which I think, is like really interesting. I was talking or I read something a while ago when Dollhouse was on about Dollhouse's second season and how hard it is as like a TV writer to make like a shadowy patriarchal organization or like an evil corporation. It's hard to make that a good villain. Usually people want villain to be like a singular person like Penguin and Catwoman or Dr. Freeze and Poison Ivy, you know, like it's harder to make like a huge structural thing Mr. a villain. Freeze, mom. <laughs> and that's um why and that's uh what was I gonna say? That's uh you distracted me with the freeze <laughs> thing. Um, oh well so because there's actually a shit ton of villains in this season yeah. in a way that is really interesting. Like the mayor is the big bad, but like I said, we have faith, but then you also have her dealing with the Watchers Council and all these other things, and you see Buffy stepping up i think in a way that she hasn't had to previously and it's because all these things that we thought were there to support her even like you know the u.s public school system are not there to do that (laughs) and they're really there to um they're really there to like hinder her in a way and so she does have to be the one to rally people against the mayor of a small town and she does have to be the one to like call the shots and she does have to be the one to go up against her own mother and Moo to, like, save um, <laughs> people like her. So, I mean, this season, I think we saw Buffy wrestle a lot with, like, oh, like, it really does have to fall to me because, like, anyone at any moment could be evil or not, like, you know, or have it out for me. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, I always think it's weird that the first Harry Potter came out in 1997 because so did Buffy. And I always feel like it's weird that, I mean, I guess they still could have 
going forward. But it's weird that one didn't influence the other storytelling-wise. They both kind of, like, were out at the same time. Um, because I feel like J.K. Rowling kind of tells the story of Buffy Season 3 within Harry Potter. Like, I feel like it feels very... You know, like, almost... Book 5 is my favorite book of Harry Potter. I know everyone's, like, internet read a new book. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I still love Harry Potter. Um, the story very much relates to that, where it's like, these kids in school realize that adults aren't perfect. That the adults that are the ones helping them are also still trying to work out their shit. And, like, don't actually have it all together. Um, and that adults aren't always the answer, which is, like, part of growing up. Um... And I don't think something I realized, that's not something I learned when I was like 16. I didn't learn that till later. But, and I think that's a really important part of growing up. I don't know. And I feel like- Well, there are those elements well. too, because you have Snape, who's basically yeah. Snyder, but a much more important to the plot Snyder. But like that idea <laughs> of there being someone in the faculty of this thing that is just a really big antagonist. And then of course you have the entire Ministry of Magic, which deals with the corruption and stuff like that. Watchers so there's the Watchers Council. So there are a lot of like parallels. Because yeah. I mean, like you said Buffy is YA. So it's really like playing on a lot of these tropes from the perspective of like the woman having the power as opposed to Harry Potter. And um, like Willow's the Hermione and you know. Well, let's go to Willow. Let's talk about Willow's season. Uh, she I, has a big season. I, so, and I have said this so many times, but like, I'm interested what Rachel and Colin think because Oz and Willow, especially rewatching it now, and I love Oz, I have a crush on him, but like, I think that stuff is so boring. All of the, the whole arc of Oz and Willow is like completely flat and boring to me, and I can't decide if it's because I love Tara so much, because I know Willow's queer, or what it is, but like for me, it, that's the only time like in season three where anything would, like, stop dead for me was, like, the Willow-Oz scenes, because I'm just like, I don't know. They just don't have good chemistry. Yeah, and I think it's because that's not the exciting part of Willow's arc in this season. Yeah. Because she's learning magic, and, like, even at the start, she's kind of leading the Scoobies while Buffy's gone. Yes. And I think that's also really important to her arc this season, is her really learning to pick it up, and, like, you know, she... There's a couple times, I said it. I mean, even in season two, she starts, but in this season, there's a couple times where she's the one that really picks it up, you know, mm -hmm. Scooby wise. And it's not always Giles, even though Giles is the great dad. Willow is clearly the like second in command. I feel like, and I love Buffy, so I hate this comparison, but I feel like Buffy's the Cyclops and Willow's like the Storm, where like people think of Cyclops as like the leader and blah blah, blah but he's a little too self righteous sometimes. Mm. And Storm is, like, the cool leader of the X-Men. And, like, that's Willow. Even though Willow's kind of, you know, in season six, she's not the best. But... Uh, she's still great in season six, though. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> I, I mean... I think... Go ahead. I would have been pissed, too. <laughs> so. I think um, the thing with Willow... I think there are, like, three key episodes to learn about Willow this season. And I think... Well, maybe there's, like, two. But I think... <laughs> It's important to know that she was the head of the group when Buffy was gone in Anne. Yeah. So it's important to see that. But it, I think it's really important to see um, th the most important episode for her is Doppelganglin, obviously, because it's kind of the episode where it, that is her standalone episode where we learn how much it's grating on her that she is old reliable and how much of her personality and her role in the group 
actually hurts her or actually, you know, she feels kind of cornered or I guess, I don't know exactly, or limited in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Box in and she wants to go outside of that. And that willingness by the end of the episode actually comes to fruition. And I think if you have missed Doppelgangland, which our friend Joe Reed, who was on the other day, told us he did originally miss that episode when it aired in real time. Um, It would be interesting to see like the new Willow afterwards, because afterwards she kind of does kick ass and take names and Mm. do a lot of stuff independently. Um, And I think it's also important to see choices where Willow gets kidnapped and like dusts a vamp on her own and like retrieves books from the... Stands up to faith. And stands up to faith. So like... Willow has this really big, for lack of a better term, because it's not season four, this like big coming out. It's almost more like a coming up like in the sense of a debutante ball type thing. Like, <laughs> she comes out into her own character because in seasons one and two, and we said this a lot of times, by the end of the show, you really think of Willow almost as the star. Um, mm-hmm. In seasons one and two, they really sideline her and just make her like the geek and the whiz kid. Um, but in season three, she really blossoms. And I think it's a really great arc for her. And it is sad that as she blossoms, she kind of has Oz by her side because you're right. I don't think, I don't think they don't like her, that they don't have chemistry. I think they have friend chemistry and that like, mm-hmm. they just always seem like BFFs who decide to have sex. Cause it's like what you're supposed to do yeah. when you're 18 and you're with someone and it's like, and the world is know, ending. Scary. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those circumstances make it that. A, a, a time for you to have sex but it doesn't mean that it's like i don't know yeah. it's more meaningful to me when like she blows out when she blows out the candle with tara and like yeah. they have their first time together i i love allison hannigan i think she um she can be like super she does romance and sex really really well yeah but seth green kind of carries that scene um yes. i mean it's because the way he he his love for her his <laughs> desire is very is very evident and i think that um like he 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 kind of makes it work he kind of makes it believable but um but it's just uh but yeah but then once they're laying in bed together i mean willow's adorable but it's just there's no She's right? all, she's she's intellectualizing <laughs> the experience, which is a very Willow thing to do. But she's intellectualizing it and seemingly <laughs> detached from it. Yeah, I mean, An- in in a physical way. Anthony Olivera, who we had on for graduation day, even said, "If you take a, if you take her, um, as this queer character that we know is going to come out." the way she reacts when she's, like, after they're done, she's like, is this feel different? Is it supposed to? Blah, blah, blah. Like, she's looking at it in terms of what's supposed to be happening. Right. Which works for just, if you think she's a straight character who's just, like, neurotic and geeky, but then also really works as, like, a woman who's going to come out in, like, half a year. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is, like, you know, uh, they didn't do that intentionally because they didn't know who they were going to have come out, but it really does work for the character. Um, and you know, I think <laughs> I just fake pushed up my glasses, but none of you could see me, um, not to be that person, but like I, I had, I interviewed Amber Benson twice. And one of the questions I asked her the second time I interviewed her was actually, do you think Willow was bi or do you think she was a lesbian? And she, because, you know, a lot of people have felt that Willow was queer and that they kind of like 
erased that and made her gay. And, and Amber said that she felt that Willow was like a lesbian. Um, and that like her relationship with Oz was a friendship thing. Um, and I think that, you know, clearly that's not canon at all. That's just her opinion. But I kind of think I might agree with that only because I do think the Oz stuff, it really does feel like they're friends. Like Oz is very supportive of her, but it doesn't, I think you are right, Rachel, that Seth Green oddly carries their scenes when Alison Hannigan is a great actor. It's not like she's, I yeah. mean, like, <laughs> so And I mean, weird. gosh, I mean, she and Tara are electric. Yeah. For sure. And like, well, I think it's just the way it's written. Like, I just don't think the way they speak to each other is the way that really intimate people speak to each other. It's the way that like, just really close friends speak to each other, just like support systems. But like, the way that her and Tara call each other like baby, like I don't even think her and Oz do that. You know, like they, the way they speak to each other is the way that like two lovers speak to each other. This, if this makes sense, I feel like um, their uh, Willow and Oz, like their um, dialogue is very like Gilmore Girlsy uh, <laughs> in that, and I mean, and actually, this isn't. This is probably not fair because I've only ever seen a few episodes of Gilmore Girls but like you the I mean you know, I've never even watched Gilmore Girls and I know what you mean <laughs> so story, like no two people are that quick-witted <laughs> all the time I mean and Oz is like his his de- I mean Seth Green's delivery of Oz's lines is just perfect yeah. <laughs> but since they're both so clever in their own way um so much is just it's all words. We're, we're lost in the in the dialogue between them, and it, and it's clever and it's fun and it's cute, but um, never really feels at all sort of bodily. Well, and it's funny because I can remember watching Hush for the first time with my best friend Kevin, who's straight and was my roommate at the time, and I literally remember watching Hush the moment. Tara and Willow look at each other and grab hands. That vending machine flies across. I remember mm-hmm. him yelling, and I, I don't know how you could be friends with me and not have had that spoiled, but I remember him <laughs> yelling, saying, oh my god, I hope they fall in love. Like, <laughs> that was, like, immediately what he yelled, and I was like, how did he not know that they do, like, being friends with me, and, like, I have Tara and Willow action figures on my desk. <laughs> um, but, like, even, like, someone who's straight can pick up on, like, the great chemistry that they have immediately... You know, like, I don't think it has to even be, not that anyone said this, but, like, for me, that shows how good their chemistry was, that someone who doesn't, I mean, all of his friends are queer, so, but, um, you know, like, anyone can pick up on that, and it's very obviously there without being heavy-handed, I think. Right. And Mm -hmm. Oz and, yeah, Oz and, I mean, but also, I do feel the same way, it's weird, because I kind of feel the same way about Cordelia and Xander, who both have, I think, I think Xander has maybe his best arc this season, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't buy them, but I buy them. Like, I buy them as, like, a high school romance, which is all we're ever supposed to buy them as. Like, I don't ever think we're supposed to buy them as, like, this, like, lovey-dovey whatever. And I think maybe that's why I don't... I, like, for me, it never falls flat. Oz and Willow do, but Xander and Cordelia, I'm never buying, like, oh, they're so in love. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah. They tolerate each other, and they like making out. And, like, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> We know exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah it's very identifiable. <laughs> Cause like, and there's clear shelf life. To that yeah. 
<laughs> like, I don't think there's anyone who's like, oh, no, they should have ended up together. Like, who cares? Like, okay, yeah, it's okay. fine. Yeah. I like watching Cordelia be mean to him and him slip sliding around her. Like, um, so do we want to talk, which arc would we like to talk about first, Xander or Cordelia? Let's do Xander because then Cordelia probably will have a lot to say. <laughs> I think Xander, I don't love the Zippo. On this rewatch, I really didn't like it. But I feel like Xander, even by the end, is at least a little bit more... I have to get along with Angel f- to fight with Buffy to help. Mm-hmm. I need to shut the fuck up. And he does he does play a very pivotal role. Yes. In in the uh in the finale. Yeah, I think it's this is about as good as it's ever going to get. <laughs> I mean he he's got that um that m- weird like military knowledge. Yeah. Uh <laughs> sort of uh inside of him somewhere that he can he can summon as necessary and that's those are like and and um his exchange with Anya where he's I mean he's almost really hot during that exchange because there's the whole like I'm not you know I'm not gonna leave my friends like this is I have to do this. I'm like, oh, that's very honorable, and you look really cute in your sweater. But then he just like completely berates Anya and is like, yeah, you're terrible at being human so far. <laughs> Which she is, but she's trying, and she has such a crush on him, and it's just ah, fuck you, fuck you, Xander. <laughs> I I mean, you know, and in season four, touch. It's it's really weird for me. It's weird because I loved. Watching the show, I loved Tara and Anya and Willow and Xander. Or, I'm sorry. Willow and Tara and Anya and Xander. Xander never really treated Anya that well. Oh, no, she deserved way better. Like, yeah, she totally did. And it's really weird because when I watched it when it was on the air, I thought Anya and Xander were such a, like, wonderful couple, blah, blah, blah. Like, I equated them to Willow and Tara when actually Willow and Tara are probably the only non-garbage couple on the show yeah um even though willow did mistreat tara at the end there um but yeah like it's it's right there immediately that Alexander like, kind of likes that a woman he finds attractive is giving him attention but he doesn't really seem to like her that much well, i also think he likes uh he likes that somebody depends on him i mean yes. because anya is literally learning how to be a human yeah. being. So there are all sorts of things that she doesn't know. And Xander is very much used to be used to being the weakest link yeah, among true. his friends. So uh, with Anya, he can, Anya's great for him being able to sort of shore up his sense of masculinity yeah. because that's a really she, good point because she's, I mean, she, he's basically the only man that Anya's, not wanted to like yeah. you know condemn to an eternity of torture and, like, and suffering the other friends she has don't really like her or ha- she has health wreck we don't even meet till season six so like yeah <laughs> i mean i do um, agree i do appreciate that willow never likes anya but you know that willow's still one of her friends like um but so, they get off on the wrong foot so. yeah, yeah yeah so fair <laughs> colin what about you for xander uh um, I, exactly. I'm trying to remember like what exactly he does throughout the season. Cause when I was watching for enemies, I watched 
like Bad Girl through because you guys hadn't done that or released it on the podcast, so I hadn't been listening to it. Every episode I've watched in season three recently, all he does is complain to people that he was right about Angel or he was right about Faith or he was right about and like get over it. Yes, he does. Yeah. Do, he does do a lot of that. <laughs> Um, however, I will give him this in season three. I tweeted recently about like the list of things that Xander does right. And <laughs> season three is, is one of them when he buys the dress for Cordelia. And yes. it's like a shining moment for him. Yes. that I mean, oh, so much of that prom episode makes me cry, but that's like where I start to get misty eyed and then it doesn't stop because that's one of it's. And I mean, we discussed it in the episode to record it for prom. It's one of the few things he does on the show that isn't capital G good guy, but is yeah. lowercase g good guy, and he doesn't need to like jerk himself off about it. Yeah, like he, he doesn't, doesn't do tell it Buffy all for the recognition. Yeah, or... they. Whereas Cordelia... usually he would do that and be like, "Hey guys, look what I did." Yes, he'd be like, "Buffy Willow, I did a thing that Angel did not," and like, <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's very much like you know, all masculinity is like performative, right? Like yeah. if you if you if you lift in the woods and no one is there to see it, doesn't even make a noise, <laughs> right? Like, so that's Xander's <laughs> whole trap. Oh my god, is... Matthew, did you just come up with that saying? Because I really like it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I love when you use your big brain. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I mean, and that's what this season is a lot. Is like, and you're right. I think you actually hit on it really well in that. Um, Xander's not given a lot to do this season, and I actually think that, like, one and two were Xander-heavy seasons. Like, you know, Willow was kind of relegated to this other role, and because Xander was still in love with Buffy at that point, they were um, really trying to explore his character a lot. And then in season three, I really feel like he does take a kind of backseat. I mean, he does things in terms of, like, cheating on Cordelia, falling in love with Willow, or at least just, like, expressing his desire for Willow or whatever like and Rachel I think you would agree I think that this like uh Xander and Willow have a chemistry that she does not have with Oz because mm-hmm. they, they are hooking up and when they're trying to like hide it it's actually kind of like you know like there's a charge there yeah yeah so Xander's not given a lot to do this season but, but I, there, I, he, does, he does have moments I mean like just like Willow has doppelganger like you said he has Zeppo and I don't think that Zeppo's actually super effective at what it's trying to do. Um, and we talked about this in the podcast. So ultimately, I think he does grow up a little bit. I mean, definitely, like, from the Venus season, just naturally, he does grow up a lot. And I do love the dress moment. Yeah. But, and then I guess we can talk about, um, there's really only Cordelia and Giles left. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think Giles really gets much of an arc until season four. Right, like, um, he leaves the Watchers Council. He, yeah. I guess we're talking about Giles now. <laughs> well, leaves is putting it nicely. Yeah, he's fired. He's well, yeah. fired. <laughs> he's fired, and I think. Well, I think it's interesting because we see. I think we can only get to Giles season four by going through Giles season three, and Giles season three, like he loses Fair. his job. He does, you know, and he has to see Wesley like you kind of get to see just like we get um Buffy and Faith we get Giles and Wesley right and so yeah. we get to see two watchers playing off of each other and you know how does seeing Wesley there affect Giles the character is the question yeah i mean i mean one of the things that's a little bit difficult about it is i love who Wesley becomes i mean i think he, 
in the Buffy verse, he's got one of the best character arcs. But at this point in time, Wesley is just a nincompoop. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, some of it, I think, is just, or rather, a lot of it, I mean, is just Giles looking at looking at him like this fucking guy. Like Wesley can't. What what is he gonna make Giles feel insecure about? Giles is is smarter. He's he's more poised. He's uh, he his just breadth of knowledge is is vast. Uh, and Wesley is a pompous windbag who has one thing, and that's the. <laughs> Sanctions. Well, it's kind of, and I said this, I think, before, I forget in the other episode, it's like, it's kind of, Giles feels like a professor, and Wesley feels like a grad student. Yes, yeah, I think that's the perfect way to think about that. But also, I think if we had to compare them, Wesley would be the Buffy, and Giles would be the Faith. Don't you think? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's like, but like, I mean, Giles is clearly the more pro, but like, Wesley's the one that's like more uptight, and Buffy's the more uptight one. Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, it's not a, you know, it's not a clean comparison, yeah. but I just meant that it's more that the idea of like this doubleness of like seeing having people to play off of, like they also do give that to Giles and like it's very rare that Giles and Wesley are not together when they're on screen in season 3. Like yes. they're con- they're they're two actors who constantly have to work against each other. So it's interesting to think of them in that way. And I mean, I've actually I mean, I guess we can talk about him too. I've actually I think that Wesley gets treated unfairly immediately. Like, he is kind of, like, weaselly and, like, kind of dummy. Kind of a dummy. But, like, they immediately don't want to like him. I mean, I tweeted from Slayerfest the gif, and it is kind of funny, and it actually is appropriate that Buffy would feel this way. But when she looks at him, she just says to Giles, is he evil? The last one was evil. Like, they don't really give him an inch. And he doesn't really get much to do until Angel. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and then he has this whole, I'm a rogue demon hunter. (laughs) Thing. And thank God that doesn't last that long. And then yeah. he, God, he's he's basically unrecognizable by uh, the end. That's I'm actually in the middle of an Angel of Rewatch, and the episode I just watched uh, yesterday was Birthday, which is like the the Angel version of the Wish. And when Cordy yes. meets him later in the episode, having like gone from Sunnydale to LA without meeting Angel or Wes ever again. She looks at him and goes, oh my god, you kill things now, because last time I saw you, you, like, ran away. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> she's so amazed by this. And looking back at the episodes, because when I was re-watching it and he was in this, having been an angel, I'm like, oh yeah, you are not at all the same character. Yeah. And, and yet, it doesn't, as it's happening, I, I mean, again, I think this is, it's just, it's the... You don't notice it happening. Yeah, you don't at all. Amazing. It's fantastic writing and yeah i mean even even the way he speaks i mean if you listened to a recording of the way wesley speaks at the end of angel versus the way he speaks when he first appears on buffy yes (laughs) i mean we go from this you know hoity-toity sort of nasally uh affected uh fancy lad sort of (laughs) thing to just like a really and like I love him by the end of Angel. Huh? <laughs> and I, I, and I know Colin agrees. Like I love him by the end of Angel. Like oh yeah, oh same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I think is a credit. I mean, I 
I always say this, but Joss Whedon gets such good actors. Like, I think it's a credit to that actor. Oh, yeah, Alexis Denisoff. Yeah. yeah. So, Cordelia's arc. What do we think, everyone? Um, it's a really interesting, I mean, especially for someone who, you know, like we said, did start off as one note and Charisma Carpenter herself kind of filled in the gaps. Um, I mean, going through her own trauma of like being cheated on and then getting the physical wound and everything. And it's the season three is really amazing, I think, for Cordelia, because she goes from like the queen bee to the shame of dealing with Xander and then the shame that her friends put on her for having dated Xander to then kind of regaining the status, but then losing her wealth. And Mm -hmm. like, it's a lot to actually throw at one character. And especially for someone who like, when you get down to like, who's being billed where, like she is clearly like fifth in line after Giles. And even in in a lot of senses, like lower than like sometimes get less, gets less screen time than Oz. Right. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. When I listed the main characters, I didn't list Oz. (laughs) (laughs) See, I often forget about him too. Like I really do. (laughs) I always think he's a guest star. And then I look back and I'm like, Oh, he's in the credits. (laughs) Um, yeah, <laughs> well, because also he really doesn't have anything to do. Like, no. he yeah. literally is it's Willow's kind of boyfriend. Like, even when, yeah, he only exists in relationship to Willow, whereas all the characters kind of exist on their own. Yeah, and like, even when we get, even Tara and Anya kind of do exist as girlfriends of the main characters, they are still more fleshed out, I think. Or, maybe not Tara, I don't know, but I still love Tara her Tara is, because she has Tara the whole is. relationship, Tara is, she has the whole relationship with Dawn. Yeah, and that's true. The one that and Buffy her and Buffy too. developed that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Tara has relationships outside of Willow, but Oz doesn't really, because I even said in the last podcast, I think, like, Oz and Xander never even have, like, their bro time. They don't even get, like, male-to-male relationship time. Yeah, I mean, and I... I don't know that I think that it could have worked if we did get a little bit of Xander and Oz like hanging out because it's not while Xander is very problematic Oz isn't so I would have been okay getting scenes of like maybe like Oz rolling his eyes at Xander or Oz, like we only ever get like that one scene in earshot Oh yeah I was just thinking about that <laughs> where and where Oz is what a complicated man yeah. <laughs> And like that scene works for me because Xander is I feel like in that scene, Xander would be the me. Whereas, like, he's, like, a chihuahua jumping around Oz, being like, rah, 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 all these things, and Oz is just like, all right, man, whatever. <laughs> like, so do we want... So there's no real arc for Oz. Um, and I, I think maybe that could be why he falls a little flat for us. Um, yeah. But I do think Cordelia gets a pretty good arc. I, I mean, I agree with Matthew, as usual, about all of his Cordelia points. Um, and, you know, I think... Charisma Carpenter is just so good. And when she says, like, thank you to Xander, and just, like, the look on her face always makes me tear up. And then when he was, like, when he says, I think, it looks great or you look great, and she's like, well, duh. (laughs) And immediately goes back to Cordelia. Like, she's, like, Mm. showing him that she does appreciate the thing he did, but goes right back to being Cordelia, and I just love it. (laughs) And, like... By graduation yeah, I, day, she's literally just one of the Scoobies helping them. Like, that's yeah, what she yeah. is. And, no, I think you all are so correct that what Cordelia becomes is so... It, it's so completely 
because of what Charisma Carpenter brings to her. Like she would not have necessarily been as fleshed out and as nuanced. Um, And yeah, because she doesn't always get a ton of screen time. And yet the way that she responds to all of the various shit that's being thrown at her, um, everything that she does with her screen time, even if she's not uh, speaking, I mean, you can, you know how much she's going through this season, even even though she doesn't have as many lines as the other characters, even though she doesn't have as much screen time. Uh, it's, you know, it's in her, in her body language. It's in the way yes. that she looks at people. It's her facial expressions. It's in, and it's the way that she delivers the lines that she does have. And, um, and I think that it is definitely uh, an indicator that her story doesn't end here, yes. which is why she becomes such a fantastic character on Angel, because because Charisma Carpenter puts so much more in into her than you know than perhaps somebody else might have. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I think you know. I mean, she kind of gives up on her Buffy hate mm-hmm. once we get Homecoming, like her and I. I really love that episode. I mean. It's very much like, you know, a kind of a one-off, but like, I, I, I'm just like, I love her. That's all. That's all I have to say is I love her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're very pro Cordelia on this podcast. Um, And I I do always wish we had gotten some kind of like her coming back. I wish she could have been in Restless. I'm always mad that she wasn't in Restless. Um, I I would have lived for a Cordelia dream. I could tell you right now, a scene in that dream would have been the cover photo on my Twitter. Like. <laughs> um, so I wanted to end, well, well semi-end with this quote I found from Joss Whedon about season three, which I thought was really good. Season two exceeded his expectations, but that season three was, quote, a struggle because I was so happy with the year before, I was like, can we do it again? Is the magic gone? Which is good because you keep working really hard. Year two got so personal and strange and it got heavier than I expected it could have. We really got to go there emotionally, mostly because we had actors who could do anything, which is something we didn't know when we started. But I would say a couple of things about the third season. One, it proved there was life after Romeo and Juliet. Our goal was to keep it fresh, which we did. We got to explore our faith and the dark side of being a slayer and calling the whole thing into question was really exciting at the point. And knowing that we had a countdown on high school stories when we'd only been in high school for two and a half years, there was a discussion whether we should be saved by the bell and they're in high school forever and the decision was to have them graduate. And the decision to have them graduate meant for the first time that we were going to get into some serious changes just in terms of look and feel. We also knew that Angel was going to be leaving, knowing we had limited time to play up both high school and the Angel and Buffy romance sort of galvanized us and made us pull out all our stops which I think is a really good summation of season three. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot there, but cause there's something I wanted to go to also so we can kind of parse it out before, okay. because, because I think the, the, the leaving high school thing is really interesting, right? Because how many TV shows actually do leave their main setting? I mean, the larger setting is Sunnydale, but overall, like when you have like an office comedy, like they are always in the office or if you have Cheers, they're always in Cheers. And Buffy is 
you know, was conceived as a high school show. And so, like, what would it have looked like if the show had decided to do, like, a season is, like, a winter or, like, a few months instead of a whole year and just stayed in high school versus, like, brought them to college? I think it definitely, thematically, the show would have been far more limited. I mean, just in scope. I'm, and, you know, maybe that's not fair. Uh, you know, sometimes limitations can um, actually bring out really, really great complexity and nuance. But I, I don't know. I, I think uh, because Buffy is the whole, like, one of the key aspects of Buffy is that uh, she is sort of rebelling against uh, the legacy of the, of the Slayer uh, that, she is attempting to live life differently than uh, the slayers that have come before her. Um, I think that we do sort of need to see sort of try her hand at different stages of life. Uh, We do need to see her in different situations all the time being the slayer, but figuring out college classes and, you know, working a food service job and, you know, be becoming the primary guardian of her sister, all, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I don't know that uh, we would have really sort of gotten that sort of interesting um, play on the hero's journey. Uh, It wouldn't, perhaps it wouldn't have been quite as fleshed out if they had kept them in high school the whole time. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, Colin, uh, I was just going to say, if, you know, they're all seven seasons in high school, it it would become eventually very hard to, I don't know, come up with storylines proper and give the character something to work with. Because, and a terrible example now, uh, I don't know if any of you watch Pretty Little Liars, but <laughs> <laughs> here we go. I wanted but to. It does, <laughs> it's terrible. It is an amazing show. <laughs> it, it's terrible, but it hooks you and it's awful. Um, but they're in high school for literally like six seasons, but only like one or two years have passed. So all the characters are clearly aging and the storylines are getting darker and more mature, but you're still only 16. Well, okay. But can I say my one pet peeve about (laughs) Pretty Little Liars and then move on? Only one? (laughs) Well, okay. My, not one. My biggest one is that, so each season is only like a few months, but they have to, so the, the whole thing, and this isn't a spoiler, it happens in the first episode, um, the main character, Arya, is in a relationship with her teacher, Ezra Fitz, and his, that's his name, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, because I always confuse him because there's also Olitz from Scandal, but they're both Ezra, right? Anyway, um, so she's in love with her teacher, and they're actually together. Like, they are in a relationship on the show, but they have to do things to, like, move him around. So in the span of, like, eight months, he goes from a high school teacher, and then he becomes a college professor, and then he becomes the dean of the English department <laughs> within, like, nine oh, months. What? Yeah, That's but, not but how that happens over, works. like, five seasons, so it, it seems okay. Right, like, it has, but, like, it's still, like, the next fall, and they're like, oh, Ezra's <laughs> the dean now, and it's like, girl, comes like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but literally, the sh- the show doesn't create a world like it creates a world where the- these kind of things are just like okay, I guess this is how it is. So you don't care. <laughs> yeah, you don't question it. Well, I, Pretty Little Liars is like one of those like 
really absurd teen shows that knows it's absurd, though, right? Yeah, it's like a pre-Riverdale in that sense, okay, too. Yeah, like I, I think it, does, it doesn't want to be absurd. It's a weird... Because isn't there, like, ten different killer reveals, but then none of them are actually the killer? Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like I would see Twitter be like, oh, tonight's the night we find out who A is, and then it'd be like, oh, a year later, tonight's the night we find out who A is. And like That's that. what it felt like watching. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, you would find out who A is, but then there would be multiple A's, and then there was an, a new A called, like, AD that was, like, a second A or, like, a fourth <laughs> A. It was really crazy. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, Sorry to derail you. But. <laughs> no, no. But I think you're, you're both right. I, I'm happy that they went to college and did that. I think about, like, I mean, there's different shows that have failed or succeeded to move you know, places. There's the famous example of like after Weeds moved from Agrestic, yeah. it was bad, and then oh, yeah. boy was, and it. then Showtime, and then Showtime actually required every single show to not move locations. They said you're not allowed to move to all of their shows. Wait, really? Because yeah, we, like the we, the powers that be at Showtime told every single show on we on Showtime at the time, United States of Terra, Nurse Jackie. They're like, you can't change locations <laughs> because of how much flack Weeds got for it. I mean, Weeds did kind of... It just it just did. That should have been the series finale. I think that's such a good finale, but it should have been... <sighs> um, but I think Buffy does it really well. Like, for me, season four is a little bit of a transition, but it's still... I don't know. For me, it's like season five and three are my favorites, and season five is like so... when That's when they've aged Buffy up a lot. And I think it all still works, so... Well, yeah. Do you remember that one scene, the only scene in all of season five where she's in a college class talking about Rasputin and you're like, wait a minute, she's still in college? (laughs) I actually, I was in a, I thought you, I don't even remember that scene. I was in a reference. There's one other scene where she drops out of college. And at that point I had definitely forgotten she was supposed to still be in college (laughs) because she goes to see one of her professors at the beginning of the end of the glory arc when all the episodes are one right after the other. And it's, like, a professor you've never seen before. And the scene is, like, oddly emotional because it's, I think, supposed to be paralleling the fact that you didn't know if Buffy was going to come back because it was going... WB was, like, up for grabs or whatever, and UPN was fighting for it. And she says to the professor she doesn't know if she'll be back next year. And it's, like, oddly emotional. But also it's like, oh, she's still in college? What? (laughs) (laughs) And then it's, like, not clear that she even finishes college, but still gets a job in... Uh, high school education. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so I guess it's time for final grades. Ooh. What do we? What would you grade Buffy season three? Um. And I. And um. Where would you rank it among your favorite seasons? Those are the two questions. What do you gave it a grade A to F? And where would you rank it on your favorite seasons? I'll start to give you guys time to. <laughs> Answer. Thank so, you. <laughs> I think that, like I said, I think that Buffy is objectively the best. I mean, season three is objectively the best season of Buffy, so I'll give it an A. I think that when I list out my favorite seasons, it's actually my second favorite season. All right. I would say, it. I think this rewatch, we'll see where I feel in season five, because I've rewatched the show so many times, and I just always say season five and three are my favorite. But I think season three might be an A plus for me. I know you don't grade up with pluses, Matthew. Um, <laughs> but I think it might be my favorite because I think season five has almost just as compelling of a story and has packs more emotional punch. But I think season three does a good job of 
carrying it throughout. While I think the season five premiere is really good, I love Buffy vs. Dracula, but I think the Harmony Spike stuff is a little bit muddled in the middle. Like, I don't really care. Like, usually I skip, I'll watch Buffy vs. Dracula and then skip a bunch of episodes, watch Triangle and Checkpoint and Fool for Love, and then watch the last five episodes. Whereas revisiting season three this time, it felt like almost every single episode is an episode I would watch in a rewatch. So, Colin? <laughs> um, I would give the season an A-plus as well. It It is one of, well, it's probably their best season. Um, and it introduces Faith and Anya, who are two of my favorite characters. So, <laughs> and, and they were both supposed to be, like, short-lived characters and continue through the whole series, which is great. Um, I think season, I think I like season five slightly more though. So I think this would come in second place for me. All right. Rachel. Yeah, I think I would have to, um, agree with Colin. Um, I absolutely would give season three a high A. I think it's, um, beautifully done. Um, there's, it just thematically, the, the way you know the the character development it's all just just absolutely top notch but i think it comes second for me too and it's it's weird it actually feels very weird for me to say that season 5 is my favorite season <laughs> because um and and ian knows this i i mean i just have such a um I have such a difficult time with um, with the season finale. It it breaks my heart. I can't even hear the music from the gift without sobbing. But I I mean I think in a lot of ways that tells you what you need to know. I mean that's that's the season that I'm most affected by. Um, absolutely a sucker for a Dracula episode. I love that Xander becomes like the Runfeld <laughs> character because of course he would, yes. <laughs> you know, such a sucker. Uh, but, but yeah, I think uh, season five, definitely my favorite, but I also need to give a shout out to season six. It doesn't always get a lot of love. Uh, I, I love season say. six. I really, really do. I really love season six as well. Um, so I, it, it might be season five, favorite and then maybe kind of like a wobbly tie between <laughs> three and six all right that's fair <laughs> um is there anything else any of you would like to say about season three before we close out colin did you I, did you give your ranking yeah yeah oh, you, did. Uh, you, just, you just ignored me that's cool <laughs> no i didn't ignore you i was like crossing i'm i keep a little notepad where i make notes on like everything that's happening on the podcast and i didn't cross your name off <laughs> oh, very good just to make um, sure that everyone gets time wait so I, wait oh yeah no quick question for you guys going forward in the podcast now that cordelia is going to angel <laughs> how do you guys fit in your 20 minutes of cordelia stand time <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I think the answer is that we're we're both just going to end up spent, uh, standing Anya now. Like yeah, okay, we'll just talk about Anya instead. Perfect. That's the answer I was looking for. Because <laughs> she comes in <laughs> in the third episode of season four, so then we can just talk about her for the rest of the time. Right. It's going to be really hard, actually, towards the back end of season four, and then everything after that. Well, except for seven, where Anya and Tara are on the same time because this will oh, literally I become the Anya and Tara show. <laughs> This will just become the Anya Tara podcast. Yeah, because, oh my God, 
It's so it's so funny because I actually know someone who doesn't really like the treatment of Anya and Tara and thinks that they're not they're not well developed characters. But I love them both so much. I mean, you love them, but I think they I th- I don't think I don't think Anya's underdeveloped. I think she's one hundred percent fully developed. I think that Tara is underdeveloped and that she like she needed to be a main cast member and yes. not die. <laughs> I, yeah. Yes. Because there is a way to like. I mean, I know all their love is doomed, but there's. I mean, the show has shown us many ways to doom someone and not um, have them die, or to doom a relationship and not have someone die. Or if you really wanted that reaction out of Willow, like they could have found a way to bring her back. Like, you know, they. I mean, they did. There's all those rumors about the way they were supposed to bring her back, and then Amber Benson wasn't available, and they didn't do it. But I mean, but I'm glad they didn't. Boo, boo you. <laughs> if she came back as the first, it would have been too upsetting. No, not as the first. Oh, no, when she was supposed to back as be her. wished back. Yeah. I, I do agree with the first thing, though. Yeah, I wouldn't I, have wanted to see her as the first. It would have hurt too much. Yeah. Because um, that's always my like argument about the first, is that I wanted to see more cameos, but I did not really want to see it as Tara because it would have made me too upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, emotionally, I could not have handled that. And Amber Benson is just, like, such a wonderful angel, and, like, I just... Yeah. She has such, like, a loving glow about her, just as Tara, and, like, it would have been... I, I don't know that I could have... Yeah. <laughs> but it's also really funny that, like, we're all like, oh my god, don't want to see Tara as uh, the first, but, like, the first is basically Buffy the entire season. <laughs> Yeah, she's like the main character, and we're and like, yeah, that's her, fine, whatever. Like the most evil person, but we're like, Tara, we must protect you. You're too pure for this world. Um, okay, so thank you guys for joining us. Um, thank you. You. And if you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow Matthew, he's at Matthew Rodriguez. One T, a G, and a Z. And if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at Ian X Carlos. And Rachel, where can everyone find you? Our Verona Cody. Verona is spelled like Corona the beer, only with a V. And then uh, Cody, C-O-T-E. And Colin? Uh, you can follow me at csmith03. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time in season four. Yay. Yay. Woo! Bye. Bye.